cue the fancy intro music. I'm Lisa Robin Young, and this is Creative Freedom, empowerment for creative entrepreneurs, where can-do inspiration and how-to education collide to help you own your dreams without selling your soul. Creative Freedom helps you to find success on your own terms and build a profitable, sustainable business doing what you love. So whether you watch the web series, the live Q&A, or are just joining us through the podcast, welcome. I'm excited you're here. The Six-Figure Deception. I've talked and written about the six-figure distinction and the six-figure illusion before. The first is about you making a decision. What kind of income do you really need to have to have a healthy business and a healthy life? The second is about how flashy marketers try to sell you on an image of living the good life when in reality, they're just broke. The six-figure deception is a close cousin. Simply put, this is when someone is boasting about top-line numbers rather than the hard truth of the numbers in their business. For example, flashy internet marketer du jour is selling their high-end program, squealing about the new car they bought, the six figures they made in the last year, and how you too can live the Vita Loca just like them. But when you do the math, if you see the numbers at all, that is, you realize that they really didn't make six figures last year. They brought in six figures and paid out almost as much in overhead. Those are vanity metrics, my friend. That's the six or seven figure deception. And it gets worse when they try to sell you on using their approach so that you can have the same kind of results they've had, which, as you can see, isn't really all that great a result. Vanity metrics come in all shapes and sizes, and the problem persists because some big companies just don't get it. I was talking with a colleague who was trying to help a client grow her mailing list for an upcoming book her client was writing. The client insisted that the publisher wanted her to have a list size of at least 50,000 people or they wouldn't touch her with a 10-foot pole. Now, there are so many ways to fake the size of your mailing list that I was kind of shocked that a publisher would be so short-sighted looking only at that top-line number and not engagement or something else. But they were adamant, that's the number, and that was what was most important. Look, if you want to inflate your numbers to make them look good, you can buy followers or use shady practices to balloon them quickly. But that's not legit. And I don't endorse that in any way because you can get banned from some platforms if you do. And government rulings like the Can Spam Act or GDPR are making it harder for people to get away with that kind of behavior anyway. So that's numbers. Let's look at dollars. I was watching a webinar not too long ago where the host was bragging about the money she brought in, about 1500 bucks in six days, which sounds great, right? She didn't spend any money on ads, but she had a group to market to, as well as some other groups she'd already researched and knew that she could market in. So she already had an audience, and she spent a few days priming that audience for a free offer she was using as a tool to funnel people to her paid offers. Now, from a campaign that reached about 90 people, about half those folks bought something from her. Now, that conversion rate is great, but the ROI 
is awful. And we'll break down the ROI in a second. But I want to say this first, because if you've got a system that allows you to continue to convert like that, like 50%, then having a crappy ROI on the front end is okay because you'll recoup that cost over time. But if you don't have a system, you're going out of the world backwards. So let's look at the ROI up close because you can't know by looking at those preliminary numbers if your effort is going to pay off. $1,500 in less than a week can feel very expansive and magical, very sexy. I mean, heck yeah, who doesn't want that? What you need to know is that she invested 20 hours in content creation on spec, meaning she didn't know if it would sell before she created it. She also jumped offline for a couple of weeks to put her head down and work on this project, which meant her marketing was radio silent for two weeks. That's time and money lost. That's an opportunity cost, folks. How much money could she have made had she been consistent with her marketing? It's hard to say, but she definitely made zero while she was offline. So aside from this nebulous opportunity cost, there's 20 hours for creating the content, plus the time she spent putting the web pages together, setting up the opt-in funnel, the payment links, etc. Then using a strategy that she admits will land you in Facebook jail, she paid someone else to privately message her leads for about 15 or so hours worth of additional labor. Which means her total income was about 41 bucks an hour. She also had to spend time in various Facebook groups posting and marketing her free opt-in. So that would bring her income per hour down even lower. But we don't have those exact numbers, so I'm going to round and say $40 an hour just to be generous. Now, if she paid $10 an hour for the 15 or so hours of work that she had somebody else do and cut that off as expense, then her actual rate of pay would be about $67 an hour. And if you're in early struggle, which is the first stage of business growth for every business, then you're probably saying, hey, 40 bucks an hour is awesome. That's more than I make at my day job. But then you have to remember to factor in the other costs of doing business. I use the profit first model with my clients. So that means that after everything else, taxes, profit margin, operations, you're making about 20 bucks an hour and actually less when you consider the opportunity costs of being offline for two weeks, plus all the research she did. Again, I'll say, if you've got a bigger ticket upsell, or a system that allows you to automate some of that work and can keep generating that 50% conversion rate, then go for it because you've got something here that can work for you. But there are a lot of variables here. 90 leads and a nearly 50% conversion rate is still a very small sample size. Will that conversion rate continue to hold? Hard to say. But When I look at posting in a few groups multiple times over a few days for $1,500 in income, it feels like a lot of effort for very little ROI, especially if it means going into Facebook jail. I mean, something about that just doesn't feel ethical. Maybe that's just me. But I say own your dreams without selling your soul for a reason. I don't want to feel icky about what I'm doing to market my work. I don't want my clients to feel icky either. And a tactic that practically guarantees you'll get blocked or banned, even temporarily, smacks of ick to me. So yeah, $1,500 in a week sounds great, 
But look deeper, y'all. Do your due diligence. When big name gurus say my system sold millions of dollars, but fails to mention the 30% return rate, the 50% affiliate commission they're paying out to sell that overpriced system in the first place, they're deceiving you. And it's a legal deception too. Why? Because it's true, but it's an incomplete truth. Remember the old saying, sell the sizzle and not the steak? That's what they're doing. And they keep doing it because it works. The sizzle is sexy. But let me tell you what you already know, sunshine. You can't fill your belly with sizzle. You need the steak. Incomplete truths. Like when my kid told me he got an A on his report card, but failed to mention the other grades that brought his GPA into the crapper. That A was technically true, and we celebrated the heck out of it. But the overall GPA was a better indicator of his academic health, and that GPA was a problem. If we don't know about it, we can't fix it. See, business is already a gamble to some degree, and you don't need to be flying blind any more than you absolutely have to. So here's my question to you. Are you looking for top-line revenue or bottom-line truth? Bottom-line truth is usually much less sexy. As an example, a few years ago, I pulled in just over $3,000 for the year. No, I did not misspeak. Free grand. That's it top line revenue. The good news is that percentage wise, it was still one of the most profitable years on record because nearly all of that income was profit. And I don't know a lot of companies that can boast an 80% profit for the year. That's bottom line truth. I made a plan that involved scaling way back. So most of my work for the year had to be automated. I had a lot of other things going on in my life that year and my business was not my focus. Now, I wouldn't have been able to live on that kind of money had some other things not been in place. I was basically living off income I had stockpiled from the previous year. I couldn't have done that if I hadn't put things in place to make that happen. So if you're looking at the top line number of my business, you're thinking, Gee, are you kidding me? This chick holds herself out as a business coach and made a lousy 200 bucks a month in profit? Three grand in a year? Ugh, whatever. But if you're looking at the bottom line truth, you're realizing, holy crap, she took almost an entire year off and still brought in $200 a month in profit. How can I do that? It's the same numbers, but an entirely different perspective, a different story on those numbers. Do you see the difference? My priority that year was just taking care of my family. Every year, I take a hard look at my five key areas of success and set goals targeted to what really matters for me. Rarely is it to hit some lofty income goal because that's not what's most important to me. It's more about making sure I can have the experiences I want. Like last year, I knew I needed to do my live event here in Nashville. I didn't know how. I wasn't sure I could even afford it, but I knew it had to happen. I didn't pitch some huge event with a seven-figure budget and a fancy back-end sales funnel either. I made it cozy, intimate, and the people who showed up have had tremendous breakthroughs this year. So much so that we are doing it again this October. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. My focus was on bringing the experience to life on time and under budget. That was what really mattered. And it happened, period. 
It was also the first year for the event, so I didn't want to put a ton of pressure on making this event the primary money driver for my business. I mean, that's crazy talk. If you're relying on your experiments to keep you fed, you might find yourself starving more often than you'd like. Or worse, you end up quitting altogether. You just give up on doing any experimenting in your business. And that's when it dies. Business by necessity requires a bit of experimentation. You have to test your offers, test your markets, test your messaging to see if it's landing with the right people in the right way. That takes time. If you put pressure on yourself to have one thing be the saving grace of your company, you're stuck before you even start. In early struggle, the singular goal is to get out of early struggle as fast as possible. That means one thing only, finding a match between your offers and an audience big enough to support your livelihood. That's it. That's all that matters. Not fancy blog platforms or technology, not business cards or branding. Keep everything as simple and basic as possible so you're not adding complication and expense. Then focus like a laser on the offer that connects with that right audience. It might take months of experimenting to find the thing that works. But in early struggle, that's your only goal. Find the thing that works. Until you find the thing that works, you have to keep experimenting. Which means you need as much spaciousness to experiment as possible, as little pressure as possible. You have to be okay with getting it wrong before you'll get it right. Now, can you get it right straight out of the gate? Sure, it happens. But if that's what you're counting on, you're creating a lot of unnecessary stress and pressure for yourself. And once you find the thing that works, stick with it. Relentlessly. Keep massaging and tweaking it until it runs like a well-oiled machine. Don't keep floating a zillion different offers. Home in on the thing that really works for you. You can keep experimenting, sure, but the experiments at this point should be substantially less of your focus. In fact, they should be limited to just a handful each year so as not to distract from your main offering. The reason you don't stop experimenting completely is because you may hit on something with your audience that you hadn't expected, or the market may be shifting and that experiment will give you some advanced understanding. But once you find your thing that works, that is where the bulk of your marketing energy needs to go. For example, in my own business, I experimented and bumped around for several years until I hit on the Creative Freedom Incubator. The pay-for-results model was revolutionary in the coaching and business support world. People were excited by the idea that they paid a percentage of what they were earning as they were earning it instead of plunking down big bucks for no guaranteed results. But I didn't know if it would cash flow. It was, after all, an experiment. So I supplemented my income doing other things for a year while we grew the incubator into a five-figure operation. And now it's headed to six figures. Now that's top line revenue, mind you. So the jury's still out on total ROI, but I will say that using the profit first model, it's at least a living wage from that single offer. And so we're doubling down on the incubator this year. I've already tweaked things once and the profitability improved. So now we're tweaking again just before open enrollment to see if things get even better. Now, what specifically are we doing? Well, in the past year, I added a support person to the team. Jeannie is a super smart, talented fusion creative. And my goal is to grow her role in the company. Now to do that, we needed to streamline our offerings. 
See, even somebody who's been doing this a while can overcomplicate things. So I took a couple of my courses and wrapped them into the Accountability Club, A Club, my small group support program for creatives. This is now the first tier of the incubator. If you're still trying to find market clarity and you're still in the early stages of really struggle, this is where you start. Tier two is Portable Coaching, which is our email-based private coaching service. This gives you some one-on-one time with me to answer questions about your specific situation. Then there's the actual incubator, which becomes tier three instead of the front door of my business. For the past couple of years, the incubator has been the lead, the front door of the house, if you will. But now that the book is out, it doesn't make sense to have it as the front door. The book becomes the entry point and the entire incubator program gets to evolve. I couldn't get there though without first experimenting with the incubator and seeing what was possible. Now I've got some traction and a baseline so I can more accurately know what to expect from the program going forward. The other thing I had to do was streamline the application process for the incubator itself. The incubator application is lengthy, about 30 pages, and it requires a bit of self-reflection, so it takes a couple of hours to complete. Why? Because I'm essentially making a year-long investment in helping you grow your business, and I want to be as reasonably sure as I can that there's going to be a positive return on investment for both of us. Sometimes I take a hit, but most of the time, so far, we've been pretty good about creating a mutual return on investment for our clients. So I didn't want to change the application itself a whole lot. The bigger problem was in the process. First, the application has to be downloaded to your computer so that you can save your answers in the form. About 15% of our applicants have problems making that happen. That means people spend a couple of hours doing the work and then they give up when they can't submit their answers to us. Not a win in my book. And definitely a point of frustration for our potential clients. Further, it can take between 15 and 45 days for an applicant to get approved and get all the terms of the contract hammered out. That's anywhere from two weeks to a month and a half of zero forward momentum for the client or for us. Plus, because everything was customized, I was pretty much the only person who could do any of the work on the proposal process. That's changing with the open enrollment period. While the content of the application isn't changing much, I'm changing the enrollment process itself. Before, it was a series of back and forth conversations to negotiate the finer points of the proposal, get the proposal approved, and signatures handled, all before payment was completed. Now, I'm shrinking that timeline by shifting some of the interview process from my shoulders to my support team. They're being trained on the screening process I've developed over the past year so that they know how to diagnose and triage a potential client. That will shrink the contract proposal period by half. We'll be able to move people through the process in as little as a week, three weeks tops, and get everyone results faster, all without eliminating the customization that makes the incubator work so well. We're just cutting a couple of steps from what was a much lengthier process getting buy-in much sooner, and getting everyone moving forward faster. Making choices to streamline without losing the customized nature of the work took some time to develop. And we'll still need to tweak it a bit to make sure it works, but this is how business evolves. We experiment in controlled situations. Plan, do, evaluate, just like I talked about in the book. Which, by the way, 
If you haven't picked it up yet, it might be the tool that will help you move out of struggle and into fun in your creative enterprise. Creative Freedom, How to Own Your Dreams Without Selling Your Soul, is a guide to personal and financial success as a creative entrepreneur. And everything you're learning in this podcast is a direct result of the years of research and lessons learned inside the pages of that book. You can pick it up at any online bookstore or shop direct at creativefreedombook.com. So I've just given you a behind the scenes look at the top line revenue of one of my offers. But let's also look at the bottom line truth. It wasn't profitable enough in the first year to be my sole source of income. So I had to supplement with something else. But now, using the profit first method, it's generating a solid five-figure living wage. Now, that's not going to win a bunch of awards, but we're just about 18, 19 months into the program. So I'm encouraged by the progress that we've made so far. Let's also look at client results because that's how the incubator generates revenue, remember? If the incubator is on the way to bringing in six figures in top line revenue and it only brings in a percentage of what my clients are earning, then what are the clients doing? Well, one client had a major turnaround, just about tripling her income in a year. She's on her way to a solid six figures in top line revenue and a strong five figure personal income along with quarterly profit sharing at roughly 5% of her company income. That's bottom line truth in just over a year. And the incubator gets a percentage of that. Other clients aren't getting the same kind of dramatic results. One client launched her first offer after almost a year of testing and tweaking. That offer opened the door to working with some high paying clients in her market, but it took almost a year before any revenue came in. And she was a stay at home mom with kids in a day job. So that's important to remember too. You can move faster when you have fewer demands on your time. Another client has a day job and about five hours a week to work on growing her business. It took her a year to develop and launch an opt-in offer, which grew her list to a whopping 11 people. But wait for it. She's actually bringing in revenue without a list to speak of because it's not her current list, but referral business that's growing her income right now. So if you looked at her email list, you'd think she wasn't worth knowing. But with decades of experience in her field, she's a pro that now commands a premium price. List size doesn't matter nearly as much as knowing exactly how you make the money in your business. She's learning that it's personal connections that are giving her the most bang for her buck right now. That's bottom line truth, y'all. You can look at vanity metrics and get all excited, but that's deceptive. You need to look more closely at how those numbers translate into real results. You can have a list with a million people on it, but if no one engages, no one buys, how valuable is it really? So here's your task for the week. Take a look at your metrics. What have you been tracking that really doesn't mean much in terms of bottom line results? What do you need to start tracking instead? Or is there a new story you can tell about the results you've been getting that more clearly shows that you're already successful right now? Remember, one man's trash is another man's treasure and the same holds true for marketing metrics. Don't be deceived by vanity metrics. Track what really matters. Members of our Rising Tide can download a worksheet to help you put all this tracking data in one place so that you can make a decision about what's really important and what's just fluff for your business. Drop the judgment 
and get ruthlessly honest with yourself about the bottom line truth of your work. If things need to shift, make a shift. If you're not sure how, ask for help. That's what being part of the rising tide is all about. You can access all the goodies inside the member area at creativefreedomshow.com. And so concludes our inaugural episode of the Creative Freedom Podcast. The next video drops in a couple of days. And at the end of the week, we'll be doing a Q&A about the six-figure deception on my Facebook page. So if you've got your metrics together by then, we could do some spot reviews and help you determine what's fluff and what's worth tracking right now. If you liked this episode, subscribe, leave a review, and share us around with your friends. Sharing is caring. Next week, we'll be talking about the five symptoms of under-earning. Oh, yes, we are. This is hands down the number one topic I get asked about more often than any other. We're going to face it head on. I hope you'll join us next time. And until then, for more inspiration and education to help you own your dreams without selling your soul, come see what's shaken over at lisarobinyoung.com. You know you want to.